This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. A people living in darkness, living in the land of the shadow of death. Is this you? Where is God in the silence? Where is God in the darkness? Could it be that your pain, your grief, all the world's suffering, all the world's darkness is the genesis of new life? For out of the darkness, when there was only emptiness, God spoke forth light. From the darkness of a mother's womb, all the questions, all the expectation, God formed a child. And from the darkness of that silent night, when it seemed the voice of God was unheard, when it seemed the hand of God was unseen, that silence was broken by the cries of a baby, a son, a savior. Christmas always gets a lot of attention. The commercialization that Charlie Brown mourns gets kicked off pretty early. Earliest Christmas commercial I think I saw this year was middle of October. But of course, it's also big for the church. No other services during the course of a church year are more well attended than Christmas Eve. Why is that? What is it about this holiday that draws so much of our attention? Why is it such a big deal Jesus came to earth? The Bible has numerous answers to that question. And one of those answers is found in a passage of Scripture we don't often think about during this time of the year. Let me read it to you. It's in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This passage of scripture that Jesus read from, Isaiah 61, is a powerful passage that talks about the characteristics of the coming Messiah. If you have your Bibles turned there, I want you to have this open. Isaiah 61 
is a prediction, a prophecy. This is the passage that Jesus read from in Luke 4. Here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. There's a theme of relief in these passages discussing why Jesus came to earth. Look at the nouns in these passages. Poor, captives, blind, oppressed, poor, brokenhearted, captives, those who are bound. It's been a weighty couple of years for many of us. And for some, it's been downright awful. So just for a few minutes, I want us to home in on one phrase in Isaiah 61. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. This is one of the stated purposes of the sending of the Messiah. We'll look at two things. What is brokenheartedness? And how does Jesus mend brokenheartedness? First, what is brokenheartedness? There are more passages of scripture that discuss this theme than I have time for today. But let's start with the book of Exodus. The people of Israel were suffering under the agony of forced labor. The work was backbreaking. The conditions abysmal and the reward negligible. God has compassion on his people and he sends Moses to let them know he's going to get them out of there. But listen to how they initially responded to Moses making this statement to them. Moses spoke this to the people, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The state of brokenness that they were in was so overpowering. They weren't able to listen to the good news that Moses shared with them. The brokenheartedness they experienced was physical, forced hard labor. It was emotional. The Egyptian leaders withheld assistance that would have made the work easier. It was a kind of psychological warfare. And this hardship wasn't something the Israelites created for themselves. It was circumstantial. It was a condition that was just dumped on them. And it was so severe, they weren't able to hear or compute the good news that was announced to them. I can relate to that. How often do we hear proclamations of the good news of Jesus Christ and what awaits those who follow him, and yet your pain in the moment can be so severe, it's difficult to see behind it. Have you ever had a broken spirit? Due to circumstances outside your control descending upon you, like an ominous morning fog? There's another example in the famous story of Job. Job had a a life everyone craves. He's married, has children, he's wealthy. He's also blameless in God's sight. Happy, healthy, and holy. He's a triple threat guy. And the Lord allows him to undergo some severe testing to see if his allegiance to God was because the Lord had blessed him with family and riches or not. In the process of this testing, Job loses all ten of his children. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. And most of the book of Job is Job processing with his so-called friends what has happened. At one point, this is what Job says. My spirit is broken. 
My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Can you relate to Job? Some of you have had to deal with the loss of a loved one this past year. When Job says his spirit is broken, it's easy to know what he means. There are numerous other passages of scripture that talk about brokenheartedness as something that happens in a world like ours that's tainted with sin. Loved ones die. Jobs are lost. Relational conflicts flare up. Circumstances are burdensome. But underneath all this, what is brokenheartedness? A twig that snaps in two creates separation between two things that should be joined together. Israel undergoing harsh treatment creates separation between longing and reality. And every human heart knows intuitively that suffering harsh treatment isn't the way life is supposed to be. You and I have a memory trace of Eden. And it creates in our imaginations a picture of the way life is supposed to be. But, but circumstances separate us from that life. So brokenheartedness feels like disappointment and sadness and even despair. As hope for that ideal life seems to drift further out of reach. Brokenheartedness is separation of two things that should be joined together. The loss of a loved one is separation of two things that should be joined together. Severe conflict with a friend is separation of two things that should be joined together. General life circumstances often dash our hopes where separation is created between reality and longing. This is brokenheartedness. So how does Jesus mend it? Let me mention three things. Number one, he's near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And can there be any more emphatic of a statement that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted than Christmas? <laughs> Jesus is saying, I know you're brokenhearted. That's precisely why I've come. See, it can be taxing to enter into someone else's brokenheartedness. You have done that. I know you've done that. You have, maybe you've cared for someone who has a lot of problems. It costs you greatly to care for someone who's deeply broken. It can cost you so much that the next time it happens, you might shy away from digging into that mess. Caring for someone who is broken is costly. Jesus knew this. He knew it would cost him dearly to care for brokenhearted people, and yet he chose to enter it willingly, not reluctantly. See, sometimes we treat Christmas as only a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. But let me tell you something. If Christmas hadn't happened yet, if Jesus had not yet come into the world, and God had decided that on this day, December 24th, 2021, was the day he'd send Jesus into the world with your brokenheartedness in the condition it is, Jesus would still come. He draws near to the brokenhearted. What does that say about him? 
Maybe this is someone you would like to know better. Maybe this is someone you need more of in your life. Second, he bandages our wounds. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The word bind up means to bandage. It means to wrap up. You know, use some gauze or a splint to treat it. It does not say he heals. If you take the wrap off, you take the gauze off, there's still a wound there. Jesus came to bandage wounds. You know, one of the rites of passage as one moves through the various stages of childhood is learning to ride a bike. Helping my kids learn to ride a bike was one of those experiences that brought back all sorts of memories for me. And one of those was the swiftness with which confidence, nay, arrogance, comes to grip the newly initiated bike rider. They can do all sorts of things. Oh, sure, they rode a bike by themselves for the first time 10 minutes ago. But now there's nothing they can't do. And of course, I was the same way. Look, Mom, no hands. Well, that turned out well. It yielded scrapes to my extremities too large for a simple band-aid to take care of. No, Mom had to bring out the big guns, patches of gauze and tape. On one occasion, this occurred with my, one of my younger siblings. We heard screaming coming from the front door. We asked, how bad is it? And then mom just walked through the living room saying nothing, holding out a box of gauze for us to see. Enough said. This is not Band-Aid bad. This is gauze bad. But it was only a matter of a few minutes when the screams would quiet and the child would be lying on the couch watching Sesame Street waiting for the tears to dry. Jesus hears your screams from the front yard as you deal with another crash. And he comes to you to bandage your wounds. This is what the Savior is like. Just because the tears are still wet doesn't mean he's not holding you. Now, how does he do that? In small ways, we often miss the prayer of a friend, a thoughtful card from a fellow believer, an unexpected gift in the mail, a song that delivers powerful truth through moving music, a new job from out of nowhere, a wholesome story that provokes laughter, coffee accompanied by enriching conversation, The scriptures married to the illuminating power of the spirit which send healing ointment into the soul. The whispers of God's spirit saying, I've got you. All these are means God employs to bandage our wounds. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns. But he will not encourage us to mistake them for home. The bandaging of wounds are the inns that refresh us on the journey. But they're not home. So the third thing Jesus does to mend broken hearts is he prepares your future. See, the fundamental reason for brokenheartedness is that we are no longer in Eden. 
When Adam and Eve sinned, they were expelled from Eden. Just so we don't make the mistake of thinking we would be any different. The Bible is clear. You and I are sinners. We bring upon ourselves our own brokenheartedness. This is what makes suffering a paradox. On the one hand, we experience life and say, this isn't the way life is supposed to be. Brokenheartedness is unjust. But on the other hand, we are sinners deserving of God's wrath. Brokenheartedness is just. It's a paradox. Underneath all our experiences of brokenheartedness, whatever the cause may be, is a longing for Eden. What was it like? It was a place of abundance with no supply chain issues. It was a place of flourishing with no COVID issues. It was a place of unity with no relational tensions. It was a holy place, free of sin. And it was this way because God dwelled with humanity in perfect, unblemished communion. In other words, the paradise you long for, the good life you long for, is a byproduct of the dwelling place of God. If you remove God from paradise, all you have left is hell. So Jesus came to make re-entrance into Eden a reality, to make communion with God possible. Underneath all our experiences of brokenheartedness is a longing for Eden, a longing to be bound together with God. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to unite human beings with God. He came to join us together. You cannot get heaven without Jesus' obsession. And my hope and prayer is that you don't miss that. The road that leads to this ample life is narrow, and few find it. At one point in Jesus' teachings, he said this, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus returns, there will be more brokenheartedness for those who miss Eden. For many, the longing for a life free of discouragement, sadness, and despair will never be realized. All tears shed, sufferings endured, and frustrations tolerated in this life are a bitter foretaste of what is to come. For the one who refuses to make the Savior whose birth we celebrate today their one consuming passion. If there's any chance that's you, my only encouragement to you is Jesus' very first words to the world in Mark's gospel. He said, repent and believe the gospel. Forsake your old life. Sprint to Jesus and stay on his heels the rest of your life. For those who have been united to Christ, all tears shed and sufferings endured and frustrations tolerated in this life will only serve the purpose of sweetening your future. There's another place where Lewis said, this is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. I'm not one who typically remembers very well my dreams or my nightmares. But on occasion I do, and I remember having a very graphic and vivid nightmare some years ago that involved 
something horrific happening to my wife and kids. And when I woke up and quickly processed that this was a nightmare and that none of it was true, there was a very real and palpable experience of relief and joy. This is how powerful heaven will be. If you're a Jesus follower, one day you're going to wake up and realize your nightmares are not true. And the exhilarating ecstasy that will follow will be so overwhelming, you will shed tears of joy and emit shouts of praise. And Christmas is Jesus' way of putting you on notice, saying, it's only a bad dream. It's not real. I have come to ensure all the brokenheartedness you experience is only a bad dream. I have come to ensure that what was once separated will be joined together forever. Where there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for entering our misery. You did not stand off at a distance, indifferent to the cries of your people. You came to bind up the brokenhearted. And I pray for those here who feel this most acutely. I pray that you would refresh them along the way with some pleasant ends. I pray the next hug from a friend or prayer of a family member or sentence of scripture or lyric from a song would be divine ointment that soothes the soul. And Jesus, remind us, remind us all. When you came to earth, our nightmares were put on notice that their days are numbered. One day, everything sad will come untrue. Give us strength to cling to that promise. Amen.